Turn to John chapter 13 in your Bibles. John chapter 13. We do our best to handle the Word of God correctly here like a swordsman. Amen. Because it is the sword of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Like a skillful swordsman, as the, the, the pastor does, as he cuts his way through and rightly divides the Word of Truth with skill and precision. As uh, Actually, we've got some swordsmen here that sword play here within our church. Preacher is one of the best I've ever seen. And... Uh, you know, but we we it's our duty to stay stick with sound doctrine. It's our duty to teach the truth. It's our duty to stay sound and speak that which becometh sound doctrine. So uh, today, this is not a doctrinal message. Uh, I think it's an interesting message. You have to be real careful when you start. I like I, I honestly over the last two weeks, I saw a lot of people out there trying to give out Bibles, teach Bible, help people with the Bible. And a lot, sadly, a lot of it was not done in a sound manner. And uh, they just people just pick up the Bible and they use it for themselves. And, uh, and I'm not judging anyone. I saw a lot of very kind-hearted people giving up their life, giving up a lot of money, of their own money, and trying desperately to help people. We saw it all over town. Uh, we've seen it, but it's it's important to make sure that you speak the things which are, which become sound doctrine, so we don't get blown about by every wind and weight of doctrine. The Bible says. So this is what we try to do uh, all the time and correctly. You know, so I, I say you can't just take the Bible and find something in there you like and use it for yourself like so many people do. All the promises in the book is my, every promise is mine. Every jot, every tittle, every line. Is that right? And indirectly they are. But you can't take the promises that God gave to Abraham strictly for yourself, can you? I don't think so. See, we take the promises that are directed to us. It's like the fellow, the old charismatic guy. He's, he had this habit. He said, I wake up every day. I, I, I get me a scripture. And I live by it. I go out and I live it and I expect it to happen. He said, well, how do you do that? There's so many in there. He said, I just pull out my Bible, close my eyes, and do that right there. That's my verse of the day. Right there. And he departed and went out and hanged himself. <laughs> yeah, boy, that didn't work out too good. I better try another. Oops. Oh, go and do that likewise. Yeah. So this is not going well for me. Better pick one of those easy ones there. I'm going to try one like three strikes you're out, right? In baseball. What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> yeah. Better get with it. If ever promise in the book, anyway, it's good to handle the, 
don't handle the Word of God in deceit. We do our best never to do something such as that. John chapter 13 and verse 21, we're talking about the only man Jesus said should never have been born. And uh, some principles here. John chapter 13, verse 21, and through verse 30 we will read. And let's all stand together and read this together. Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray Me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom He spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to Him that He should ask who it should be of whom He spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto Him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, and then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him by those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's pray. Father, I ask that thou would help us today to understand motive and agenda when it comes to our own hearts. And uh, while we do the things that we do, help us today to apply this to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Why? Here's a good question. Out of all the people, why did Judas end up being the betrayer? He called him the betrayer long before he made the betrayal. Jesus in His sovereignty knew uh, that he would be the betrayer. What's interesting is, is the day that Jesus chose the 12 apostles, he was called the betrayer, the one that would betray Christ. And he knew this. So by this time, Jesus knew who he was. He knew it long ago. It's the SOP, that word S-O-P. You know, uh, you can say, is the Bible literal? S-O-P stands literally for, I know it's the dip, but it's the son of perdition. The son of perdition. The sop, S-O-P. And so by this time when we read this passage, Judas had already decided in his heart that he was going to betray Christ for money. And he had already made a deal with the Pharisees. The deal had already been done. He was just looking for the perfect time and place to betray Jesus unto them. And for a man who's looking out for money, the sooner the better. And so, here it is, the very last night. I'm thinking about this. The Passover, the Lord's Supper. Jesus sent His disciples into town. He said, go and find us a place. And Jesus knew where the place would be. Where you might prepare that we may have the supper. 
and this Passover supper, which is so significant and so special. And it was during this night of the Passover supper that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for all of His followers from there on after to take in remembrance of Him. You know, and Jesus said, with desire, I've desired to eat this with you, this supper with you. He said, it means so much to me. You know, the Passover. We know people who they want to eat the Passover when the Passover time comes, which it just it was recently here. And many people want to be Jews so much and they want to they believe they still have to take of the bitter herbs, eat the roasted lamb, and eat the unleavened bread. Just like they did days of old when Moses instituted the Passover. They fail to realize the Passover has already come. The Bible says Christ is our Passover. Amen. Already partook of it. You know, when you partake of Christ, it's one time. He is our Passover. We took of it. I would like to take a Passover meal just to say I did it and to experience it. But I'm not doing it for some religious experience. We're not doing it to get somewhere with God. We're not doing it to fulfill the law. Jesus already fulfilled the law. So he said with desire. He said, I, he said, I desire this so much that I desire to desire it, to eat this with my 12 chosen special men, the close ones, this special moment. And so he says he'll institute the Lord's Supper and its representation of His great sacrifice for us. The roasted lamb, the bitter herbs, and the unleavened bread. And after that, in the midst of it, He instituted the Lord's Supper. Now let's think about this for a minute. This supper that they had, the Passover. In, in, the, uh, in Jewish culture, Middle Eastern culture, this happens all the time. This is how they eat their food. They dip the sop. What they would do is they'd have olive oil poured out in a dish and they would put special herbs of different types in with the oil. Usually you'd have your oil poured here, your uh, spices here, and then if you, uh, back then they, didn't, they weren't super wealthy, but those that could would put a little vinegar in there, like a little balsamic vinegar to give it a special uh, type of flavoring. And they would take unleavened flat bread and they would roll it up and they would dip and eat the sop. And that's what they were doing. Dipping some sop like you do with your biscuits and gravy uh, and whatever else you do. I see people dipping a lot of sop in a lot of things. I see some strange dipping that takes place sometimes. Now we know the common dipping is the chip in the salsa. Amen. Become a way of life. We see that all the time. It's the same principle. It'd be like an appetizer. Now, I would say this. If you've never gone to one of these restaurants, it's, it's worth going to if you've never done this. Go to one of these Jerusalem grills or Mediterranean grills and let them bring this before you and set it and enjoy dipping the sop. Some people would say, I, can't, I don't want to dip this sop. Uh, but you ought to try it. The special spices they put, they're so unique, it really tastes good. It really, really does. And these, these unleavened bread, they come out in these huge, huge, you talk about tortillas. These things are this big sometimes. And you sit there and eat. You can dip all day long. A good grill like that will keep it coming. 
You know, we always say, keep the chips and dip a coming. If you if you're a good if you're a good waiter, keep it coming. So in a Mexican restaurant, you not only keep the chips and the dip a coming, you got to keep the water and the tea a coming with it, because you got to have both to survive. Unless you're some people I know. I knew one guy. He'd drink a hot Dr Pepper and eat a jalapeno for lunch. That was his lunch. And then he might throw in a piece of bread. He didn't want anything cold. He was just cut out for that stuff. You know, and then he worked out in the sun all day. I don't know how he did it. But this is the way they would live. They, this was the sitting down. This would be like their, uh, their appetizer. They just put it out on the table and they dipped the sop as they talked, as they fellowshiped. And this is what has taken place. You know, this is the one of the most unique special nights in the Jewish year. And this ended up being the greatest one of all because the very next day, the, ful the fulfillment of the Passover will take place. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. So Jesus is there with His 12 disciples. And you, you know, it's all about where you sit. You know? And the Bible says John is leaning on his breast. So he's really up close. John was very wise, by the way. But there was another person up pretty close, and his name was Judas. Because Jesus says he dippeth with me in the dish. He was very, very close. So Judas is there. Remind you, he's already made the deal. He's an imposter. He's there looking for a time to betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And he's sitting there, and he's eating the dipping the sop right along Jesus Christ. I'm just having a little fun here, but have you ever been in, you ever been in a restaurant, you know, on the sprawled out table, and you're sitting there, and they put all the appetizers on one end, and it's the end you're not on? You ever had that happen? Are y'all going to pass some down? You're going to just use it all for yourself. And then you have the one who's eating most of it. There's always one or two. They're dipping most of the salsa. They're getting most of it. This is Judas. Jesus actually, I, I can almost guarantee it. Judas, Jesus is eating. He's talking. He's teaching. And he's about to reach down and dip the salt. And here comes Judas right in there and cuts him off and dips into that salt. And, put, and not belligerently necessarily. This is the pride of his heart though. He pushed him out of the way and got in his way. This is the person who you sit down to eat with. They talk real loud. They eat real proudly. They dictate the conversation of the meal. They dictate the spirit of the meal. Sometimes they want to talk about people while they're at the meal. Did you know one person can run a whole meal if you allow them to? It just takes one person to stick their, their mouth into the wrong place and ruin a meal. And the Bible says you ought not allow people to ruin your meals. It's not worth it. It's a special time. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of bringing the people together, whoever's eating there, especially the family together. You're not only eating you are fellowshipping. It's a very, very intimate time to eat with another person, really. So Judas, Jesus is talking. 
while he's eating. And Judas is dipping when Jesus is dipping. And he, Judas isn't realizing the moment, but he's already made his mind up. Now, here's an interesting thought. You know, Judas must have been like an Oscar performing actor because none of those men suspected him to be the betrayer. He must have been the greatest hypocrite that ever lived to, to, for three and a half years to get away with this and to deceive all of his brethren. He did. They didn't know. You know, it says in verse 21, Jesus became very troubled in his spirit. He groaned and he was troubled because he knew one of my chosen 12 is just about, he's already done it but he's going to betray me. And he says it. This is good dinner conversation. One of you will betray me. So it goes across the table, the long table. What's he saying? And you know what they all say? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? You know, think about that. We don't know. God knoweth all things. They're all saying, Lord, would I do something like that to you? Would I betray you after all this time? Is it I? You know what Judas says? Master, is it I? You know, Judas was the only one that never called him Lord. He always called him Master. Because he wasn't his Lord. You can't make Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit putting that in your heart. No man can call him Lord except by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. So Judas says, is it I? And Peter, he says, John, you're real close. Ask him who it is. Find out which one of us is going to do this. And John knows. John doesn't say, is it I, Lord? John would never say that. John says, who, who is it going to be, Lord? Because John knows, it's not me. John knew. He's, too close. He's always leaning on Jesus' breast. He's the disciple Jesus loved. He's the disciple that loved Jesus. That's why Jesus answers by saying, verse 26, He answered and said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I've dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he handed it, or he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. He hands it to him. Everybody saw it. The Bible says Satan immediately moves in and possesses Judas. And, Je and Jesus makes that, that statement. What thou doest, do quickly. Time. Jesus had to die at a perfect time. You have to do this. You go. And he went out into the night. And so interesting because the disciples, Judas was such a, they still didn't know it was him. They all said, well, he must be going out to buy provisions for tomorrow before it gets too late. That's amazing to me. Only Jesus knew who the one would be. And he goes out into the night. This word sop. Now, wheat that has been triturated. In other words, beaten and crushed. You know, when wheat comes off the husk, it's very hard. And it has a it's a it's got a kernel, but it's very hard and it has it has a soft outer covering on top of a very hard shell. And they would put it on the floor and they would beat it 
I mean, they would hit it with hammers. They would hit it with sledgehammers. They would hit it with these big threshing instruments. They're trying to knock the chaff off of it. That's what they do. And then when the chaff would be all knocked off, they take their winnowing fan and they blow the chaff away. And the, and the uh, chaff would blow all over the place and the wheat would remain. They gather the wheat up and they take it into the, the place where they're going to grind it into meal. They put it in and they grind it with heavy, heavy stone, stone against stone, to grind it into powder so that they could go and they could mix it with water and oil. Sometimes they'd mix things, mix egg in it and other things, but they were making bread. So they'd either make loaves of bread by putting yeast into it, or they were making flat bread, unleavened bread, these flattened cakes, which the disciples were eating that night because it was of the law. No leaven could be found within their house on Passover night. None whatsoever. And so this is what they're doing. You know, it's interesting because they would take this bread and they would dip it into the sock. And, and so what they would do, they would roll it up. You ever had food where you put it between your fingers and your thumb and you roll it? They would try to roll it into something hard and then they would submerge it. I challenge you to go do this and try to dip as much of that oil and get as much of the spice as you can on your dip as you come up and get as much of it as you can in your mouth. That's what they would do. That's what it means to dip the sock. In the very moment that Judas is exposed as the SOP, the son of perdition, is that Jesus is dipping deep with a roll of bread and he hands it over to him. And this is what he's basically saying to Judas. You could have had the bread of life dipped in the Holy Spirit. You could have had everything I had. To, I brought myself to give you. You gave it all up for money in the world. And boy, he sold out so cheap. You know, he sold it for a price of a minor menial slave, 30 pieces of silver. It's so sad. And they would sometimes, like I said, bring the vinegar in. So in the book of Ruth, when Ruth gets to eat uh, at the threshing floor with Boaz, her future husband, he's so wealthy, they have balsamic seasoned vinegars for her to partake of as she dips the sop. Make no mistake, every Jew dipped the sop. It's so sad. It, it signifies how close Judas came to becoming a true disciple. He had every opportunity. He had every availability. Salvation was right before him. He preached salvation. When he, I always wonder, who was the guy that got stuck on the two-by-two two with Judas? Who got stuck with him? I think it was the other guy named Judas. You know, there were two disciples named Judas. I think he's the one that got stuck with Judas Iscariot. He's the one that he saw and tasted the graciousness of God. He heard the truth Jesus spoke more than almost anybody on earth. He knew all the mysteries, yet he's still the son of perdition. Jesus called him the son of perdition in John chapter 17 and verse 12. Here's Judas, the master of hypocrisy. Had everyone fooled except Christ. 
Jesus said in John, I think it's 6.72, Have I not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? Jesus knew he was a devil from the very start. Jesus knew who his father truly was, even though this passage says it was the son of Simon. Didn't they not say Jesus was the son of Joseph all his life when he wasn't the son of Joseph? He was raised by a man named Joseph. But Judas was raised by a man named Simon, but Simon was not his father. That's why Jesus said it's good for this man. He'd never been born because he's the only man that was ever born that really, truly never had a chance to be saved. He's the only man that Satan that we know of personally possessed and entered into. He's the only disciple who repeatedly and only called Jesus Master. He sided with the enemies of Christ. He's the only one that went out to hang himself, which is the sign of someone who is cursed. He's the only one that says that went to his own place. He's the only one who has the same name as the Antichrist, the son of perdition. He's called the wicked one. Uh, it's the complete... It's, what this is is the epitome of complete and utter loss. So let me talk about Judas Iscariot for just a minute, and then we'll move on. Judas Iscariot, it means he came from a place called Kiriot, Iscariot. Okay? There was two places in the Bible that were called Kiriot. One was in southern Judah, and the other was in Moab. I personally believe he came out of Judah. He came out of God's people just like the Antichrist will have Jewish lineage in him. It's a place in southern Judah. It means a man of murder. Don't we know that the Bible says Judas, who's born of, the, of uh, the wicked one, that Satan was not only the father of lies, he was the first to murder. Remember that. Now, this is really something. Iscariot. It means a scorter. It, what it really means is Judas wore a leather apron around his waist that was like a money pouch. He carried the money for all the disciples. At times, he had a lot of money in there because Philip said on, in John 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000, we've got 200 penny loaf or penny worth of uh, money here. That's a lot. That's two and a half months wages of a man who worked every day. That's, a, that's quite a bit that he's carrying in this scorter. Wasn't near enough to even do, make a dent in uh, feeding 15,000 people, though. But so in this scorter where he carried the money, the Bible says G uh, that Judas was a thief. You know what it means? This, uh, the, this is another interesting aspect of this. Iscariot means one strangled. One strangled. So when a person dies by hanging, they're dying by strangulation. And he strangled himself. You know, he probably went out and hung himself with his scorter that he carried around in his around his body when he stole from God's people and God's treasury for three and a half years. He died by the thing he lived for. He that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. Now, from this, this particular night here, from this point on, He's never going to be called a disciple again. He's the betrayer. He's the son of perdition. He's the sop. The SOP. 
Jesus dipped very deep. Had it full. Said you could have had what the rest of them are going to get. Me, the bread of life. Me, the full Spirit of God. Could have had it all. Yet, you chose it some other way. Now what was the real problem with Judas? When you, when you look at it from a, human, from a human viewpoint, what was the real problem? When, when Judas approached Christ and entered into the uh, realm of the disciples, he came for the wrong reason. Really, from the start. He showed up for the wrong purpose. He showed up with opportunity in mind. He had opportunity. He saw someone who's probably, he, he might have been even convinced, he really is the Messiah. He really is the anointed one. I'm going to be one of his top men. I'm going to be one of the rich ones. I'm going to be seated on a... Jesus even said, seated on a throne, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He, wasn't, he was convinced of that. He knew. Just as Satan knows whose God is. And the Bible says the devils all believe and tremble. But what was his real problem? He pictures one that is in it for the wrong reason. Showing up for the wrong reason. From start to finish, wrong motive. So in following Christ and assembling with the brethren, even going witnessing, he had ulterior motives, ulterior plans. He wanted gain and riches, glory and influence, and that's what he wanted. Now turn over to John chapter 12 and verse 3. Let's read some verses here. John 12 and verse 3 says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. One, just one of the classic moments in Jesus' life. Then saith one of his disciples, who is it? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had to bag and bear what was put in, therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Now this is an amazing story here because he got angry by what he said was a waste of money. It was too much allocation toward Jesus and not enough on the poor. But the Bible plainly tells us why he has that in mind. He says, I, as I'm going to distribute things to the poor, I will pinch a little and take a little for myself. Too much emphasis, too much expense on Jesus Christ. Too much focus on Him. Too much glory for another person. Not enough for me. Not enough recognition for my life. I want more. He started realizing that day all the attention's on Jesus. And He rebuked me in front of everybody. And He got angry. And that's why it says He went out to betray Him. It angered Him very much. Number two, He was a thief and coveted money. You know, Ill-gotten gains had become his way of life. He went out and bought a field, the Bible says, with the reward of iniquity. 
He bought this field before he betrayed Christ. So he bought this field before he got the 30 pieces of silver, which means he got the money to buy the field some other way. He got the money to buy this field through stealing from the work of God and the very people of God. Because he figured, I am going to advance myself through the cause of Christ any particular way that I can began to complain, began to murmur. The other Gospels of this story says he started complaining, and before he knew it, he had all of them joining in. That's what, you know, uh, complaining is very contagious. We get everybody, let everybody gripe a little bit. Before you know it, you're complaining about everything. Judas was a great instigator of this because he figured, I can get these people to understand. I want to have my way if I'm going to follow Christ any longer. But what happened this day was he started realizing this is all about Christ, nothing about me. I don't think I can stay here any longer. I think I need to move on. So at this instant, he moved on to strike a deal. The sop, I call it, the dipping of the sop. It's following Christ or coming to church with hidden motives for self. It's coming to be with the saints, hanging around the church, however people do, working through your way in the kingdom, but it's all, really, you know what's the amazing thing about Judas was? He worked his way through this without ever really truly being a part of it for three and a half years, but he was there for everything. That's what's so amazing to me. You know, it reminds me of all these men in the Bible, Gehazi. He was a servant of, of Elisha. He said, I've got to get some money for me. And he stole and said, I've got to make some money out of the ministry some way. And it cost him his health. He became a leper for the rest of his life. Absalom, the son of David, he did not like the fact that David was getting all the glory as the king. He wanted some for himself. Committed conspiracy and murder to get, to get it. Lost everything. There's a man that was Joab. He was David's chief captain. He lived his whole life for opportunity. He was the classic opportunist. Power, prestige, position. New Testament. There's a man named Diotrephes. It's in 3 John. It says he loved the preeminence and having all the power in the church. He wanted all the power in the church. He wanted to be preeminent within the church. He wanted to make all the... All the uh, he wanted to make all the decisions in the church. It was to the point where he wouldn't even let John, the great apostle John, even in the church. He wanted power. The original that they got all this from was Satan himself. When Lucifer, he was the master of Sop. He's the one that did all. He led the way to all of this of having to having your own agenda to advance self and using the cause of Christ to do so. All I'm trying to say tonight is we don't want to fall into any of that category whatsoever. So we check ourselves. What's my true motive for being here? Why I do what I do? Who I do the things I do with? What's the real motive and purpose? And check it and be wise. They want to make it about me instead of him. You know, why do you attend church? 
Why do you attend church faithfully? Why is the reason, what is the reason for your Christianity? Judas had the wrong motive all the way through, and so do many others. Look at chapter 12 and verse 12. We won't be here much longer. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. We could, we could keep reading, but we'll stop at that. Here's a crowd of people. They're caught up in something most of them don't understand what they're saying or what they're doing. They just gotten caught up in a in a crowd. They got they got caught into what the multitude was doing, which in this particular case was a good thing. But they didn't know this. They didn't understand this. These were people praising Christ in simplicity. Praising Christ, actually not even knowing why they're doing it. That's what all these riots are all over America. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just following a multitude to do evil to satisfy the evilness of their hearts. We know that. They wanted to be... Here's a bad reason to be in church. I want to belong and be a part of the crowd. That's not a good reason. Now, you're welcome. You ought, I mean, please come, but have a better reason than that. Have a better reason that I just want to belong. Why did I say that? A week later, these same people are calling out for Jesus to be crucified. The same ones that accepted Him as King are now... Man, you think about that. How quickly minds can change. If you're coming to Christ or to church to be a part of something, that's not the real reason to come to church. That's still for you. You see what I mean? That's still for you. Coming for miracles, coming for help, coming for food, as these people all did, or signs, is not a valid reason to follow Christ. You know why I say that? Right here, the miracle stopped. Not another miracle took place after this. God didn't give them any more signs. It's over. The Passover is about to take place. It's not about getting the gifts. No free food. No free healing or gifts. Now, it, this is so amazing to me. I don't want to uh, take too much longer on this. In one week, think about this. In, from, in one week, they went from crying out, Blessed is our King, like I spoke this morning, Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord, to away with this man, crucify him. We want him dead. And basically they were saying, he, they went from he's worth everything to now he's worth nothing. They went from let's worship him to let's kill him. Why? They came for the wrong reason. The Bible says in John 6, I read it this week, they all came to him for the miracles and the food. And the, they wanted 
Daily manna like God gave them through Moses. That's what they wanted. And Jesus said, you're not getting that. You're getting better. You're getting me. And they said, no. This is too hard. Most of them turned and walked away. When you come to Christ for the wrong reason, you're going to be praising God one day and you may be cursing Him the next because it didn't go your way. And that's what happened to Judas. He started realizing Jesus has been saying some things. He's going to have to be crucified. He's going to have to die at the hands of sinners. This isn't going as well as I... I thought he was going to be the king. I thought he was going to be the true anointed Messiah to free us from Rome. It's all about motive and purpose. Look out for the sop. Using Christ and His kingdom for personal gain. For personal esteem. For wealth. These are just things to throw out there. You don't come to church to look for a date. You might find one. That's not why you're here. You don't come to church to find the right spouse. You might find the right spouse. But that's not why we show up to church. You don't come to church to have the right friends. Those aren't the right reasons to come to church. You don't come to church to get your social needs met. Those are not the right reasons to come to church. You don't come to church to seek opportunity for self to test the church out to see if it meets my needs. Those are bad reasons from the start. You come for Him. It's all about Him. Judas never got it. Never got it. Actually, the disciples didn't get it until after the resurrection. If you're going to sing for God, sing all you have, but don't sing it for any other reason than I want to sing for the Savior because He gets all the glory and honor and love and praise. It's all about Christ. I need to get that in my head. It's never about me. Never. God wouldn't let it be about us, by the way. All glory to God and His Son. The sop shows, you know, when Jesus dipped that, I go back. The sop, when Jesus dipped and handed it to Judas, He's basically showing what you could have been, Judas, but yet what you are. What you chose. You know, it's always, what could have really been? Oh, what could have been. But it'll never happen. Because Judah had the wrong motive. You know, the men and the women that are in it for the right reason, it's never for power and prestige. Never. Moses was the meekest man on earth. And he, had, he was leader over a huge nation of people. Didn't go to his head. He knew this is all about the God of Israel. I'm just trying to get them to Him. David, same thing. King over the land, greatest king Israel ever had. It didn't go to his head. He realized it's all about God. Paul became the greatest apostle, and all of us are probably saved today because of him. He knew it wasn't about me. He said, I'm the least of all. I don't deserve any of this. It's all about Christ. The spirit of meekness puts Christ in men ahead of self completely. Meekness is the opposite of self-will. The complete opposite of hidden agenda and self-will. True meekness 
It's pliable and yielded and like, like that bread and when they rolled it up in the hands of the potter, really. That's meekness. Lord, just make me what I need to be. Make me what I need to be. Here's meekness. Whatever God wills, I'll do it. Wherever God leads, I'll go. To count not my life dear to myself, but to freely lay it down for the help and needs of others. Judas never understood that. We need to learn more of Christ and not how to become great. You'll come great if you just learn how to become more like Christ. We need to learn more of His ways and Him and put Him in the forefront if you want to ever be important in the kingdom. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus Himself said this. So as His meekness, I'm done. As meekness is the opposite of self-will. Just as Jesus is the exact opposite of Judas. Think about this. As meekness is the opposite of self-will. Lowliness. True lowliness is the opposite of self-esteem. We're too worried about our own self-esteem. And self-righteousness. You know what lowliness is? It's self-abasement. It's self-effacement. Really. Because it's all about Christ. Let's check ourselves. Is there any hidden agenda? Some, uh, Jeremiah 45.5, Jeremiah told old Baruch, his best friend and his, his uh, scribe, he said, you seek good, great things for yourself, Baruch? Seek them not. Don't seek great things for yourself. As soon as you start seeking great things for yourself, God's just going to start sending you out to pasture. Wrong motive. I've seen with preachers my whole life. They start getting full of self. Check ourselves. No sop in there. No hidden agenda. No hidden motive. Let's bow our heads. Only His way. Only glory to Him. There's no room for us. We should not even want the room anyway. Let me ask you a couple of questions. We'll be finished. This will help you. Maybe uh, let's just think about this. Have you ever gotten upset at God? Think about that way while you uh, pray. Have you ever been upset with the Lord? Why did you get upset with the Lord? He didn't do something your way or how you thought it should have happened. Something didn't go right. There was a too much me in there. Have you ever wondered at his ways? Boy, I have, because they can conflict with mine, the way God is. You ever wondered why and how strange it is that they conflict with what we want? Are you a little overly concerned with self in the church? Possibly some of us. Position, noticeability, influence. I want to say is let's check self today. Why am I here? What is my position towards Christ? How do I view Him? How do I view myself connected to Him? 
How do I view myself connected to the church? Am I meek toward God and the brethren and toward others? Am I in it for the right reason? I'm sure we all are. But everyone has a tendency because we have pride to raise ourselves up. We must keep ourselves down. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ.